0: This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the first chapter, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Then, as a widow to the age of 84, She never left the temple but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. You may be seated. I often get a kick out of the juxtaposition of images surrounding Jesus' birth story. Now, we're all familiar with the romanticized nativity depictions. Usually framed by a rough-looking barn-like structure, Mary and Joseph look wistfully on as shepherds with astonished faces and reverent wise men come to worship their newborn son, who is often supernaturally glowing and, of course, the picture of the perfect newborn. There are no diaper blowouts or regurgitated breast milk. He isn't crying or fussing, no typical squawk of a newborn piercing the night sky. No, instead, Jesus reclines serenely in a makeshift bassinet, completely unbothered by the fact that he's laying in animal feed. High above all of this are the angels who sing alleluias with the kind of facial expression one can only interpret as, see, we told you so it's all created to look so peaceful not one hint of the actual wondrous disruption a newborn brings truthfully I find an image circulating social media to be far more relatable in it Mary and Joseph looking quite haggard are visited by three wise women who come bearing I bet you can guess Clean diapers, extra formula, and casseroles, (laughs) you'd know. The very picture of sanity to the parents of any newborn who have kissed household peace goodbye. My son, Wyatt, turned 11 just a few days ago. I got to reminiscing about those early days and even the days before he arrived rather unexpectedly into our family. We met Wyatt for the first time on an absolutely frigid Iowa winter day, so cold that the snow crunched loudly under my feet, with each step I took from my car to the front door of the Foster family's home, where he had been so lovingly cared for since his birth just about 10 days before. You see, Wyatt is adopted. The timeline of events surrounding Wyatt's arrival into our family, as with really any newborn, was anything but peaceful. Before we could be approved for adoption, there was a dizzying array of medical exams and tests, scrutiny of the stability of our bank accounts and mental health, evaluation of our home and expected parenting style, and more legal documents and dollars than I can count. Then we got the phone call. We had three days to prepare everything to bring this baby home. While we had some things ready, there are still a great many things you simply can't prepare for until you know some specifics about that tiny human about to change your life forever. For three days, we ran around buying the necessities. I even dragged my best friend, who already had children, to Target just to tell me what diapers to buy. It hadn't occurred to me to relish these last moments of peace, even as we entered the home of Wyatt's foster parents, Mark and Jamie. As we walked in the door, the social worker who had been in charge of Wyatt's case since his birth handed him to me, and he was sleeping peacefully. As we sat in Mark and Jamie's living room, I was struck first by the total chaos happening around us. Mark and Jamie had two children of their own who seemed to have endless energy and opinions about how I was to take care of Baby Pete, the name they had given Wyatt while he lived with them. The second thing I was struck by was the sheer amount of knowledge Jamie had of my son. How he liked to be carried around everywhere. How alert he was to voices and the presence of others. How much and how often he liked to eat and other things he liked to do when he was awake. I was amazed at how peaceful and calm she was as she shared all of these things how her entire focus and dedication all her effort and energies seemed to have been on Wyatt those past 10 days on his health his safety making sure he was fed changed clothed and loved all of those things in a perfect balance it mattered not that Wyatt wasn't biologically their child it mattered not in fact that Wyatt had been born just days earlier to an unwed teenage mother. It mattered not that this unwed teenage mother was in the US illegally, along with her younger siblings, her parents and her younger siblings, who were fleeing from unspeakable violence, corruption, and almost certain poverty or even death in their native Guatemala. You see, these things mattered not because here was Wyatt, in all his newborn beauty and fragility, needing someone to help him be peaceful and whole, to help him experience the good life God intends for all people. The most accurate word for this is the Hebrew word shalom. The word shalom has many meanings. At its root, Shalom means perfect wholeness or completeness and all of the meanings relate to having balance in the world. Perfect wholeness, perfect completeness, perfect balance, the kind of peace Simeon finds in today's text, the kind of world Emmanuel, God with us, brings, and the kind of world we are called through the waters of baptism to help maintain. Today's text puts us exactly 40 days from Jesus' birth. According to Jewish law, Mary and Joseph would have had to wait 40 days before bringing their son to the temple for presentation and to offer a sacrifice. This would have been a familiar ritual for the new little family, much like the baptism of an infant is so familiar to many of us today. Even more noteworthy, however, is the fact that what happened in the temple that day was markedly less conspicuous than a baptism might be today. There were no sponsors, no heirloom baptismal gown,
1: no family
0: pictures in front of the font, and certainly no celebration feast. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus would have arrived quietly Perhaps even feeling ashamed and unworthy as they approached the temple in humble attire, carrying with them a pauper's offering. You see, according to the law of Moses, on the day a son is to be presented in the temple, a sacrifice of a lamb is to be offered. Except as Luke makes a point of telling us Joseph and Mary don't bring a lamb, they bring two turtle doves, the alternate offering the law allows for those too poor to bring a lamb. If I had to guess, the shame of not being able to bring the prescribed offering would have been enough to quicken Mary and Joseph's steps so that they could do what was right in the eyes of God and then disappear from the temple and the memory of everyone there that day as quickly and quietly as they had come. To enter quietly without drawing attention to themselves, do right by their God and their Son, and then inconspicuously with heads down so as not to draw attention to themselves, return home. An attempt to create a peaceful life. The kind of peace, shalom, Isaiah foretold. The kind of peace, shalom, only God can give. And the shalom, that Christ brings about. How and where and when God entered the world matters. At the time of Jesus' birth, Augustus had been emperor for 27 years, and he would remain in power for 14 more. The Roman peace, or Pax Romana, Augustus is credited with ushering in is not shalom or peace at all. In fact, it is a delusion, one that Luke's Gospel account sidesteps entirely and Matthew's Gospel account, I'm fairly certain, intended to have noted sarcastically with air quotes.
1: That's because
0: peace in the Roman Empire was only achieved through drastic measures benefiting the few and exploiting the many. Beyond military violence, much of it too unspeakable to name, oppression took on many forms. The working class were required to give over half of their income to Rome, leaving little, if anything, for families to survive on. Peace, came through foreclosures, evictions, family separation, malnutrition of children, and on and on and on. To those who could afford to play Caesar's game, it looked like peace. The rest were kept in a constant state of economic stress by imperial design. Sound familiar? In Haiti, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Palestine, Guatemala, and yes, in many ways, even right here in the state of Iowa. It is the same kind of peace corrupt governments promise all over the world. Transparency International's Corruption Perceptions Index for 2022 puts more than two-thirds of the 180 countries it evaluates at below average indicators for curbing corruption. What's more, despite concerted efforts, 155 countries have made no significant progress against corruption or have even declined since 2012. There are Mary's and Joseph's all over the world trying desperately to live an inconspicuous life, simply to survive, let alone to find some sort of shalom. They are the children in foster care. They are the family who have entered the United States illegally, a last-ditch desperate measure to save the lives of their children. They are the family who need nutrition and housing assistance because their paychecks haven't kept up with inflation and the rapidly rising cost of living. They are the woman seeking to end an unwanted pregnancy. They are the teenager seeking medical care because they know deep in their soul that the body into which they were born doesn't match who they know themselves to be. They are the same-sex couple longing for their humanity and their love to be celebrated and recognized. They are the black descendants of people brought here against their will who still feel the sting of racism in both overt and covert ways. They are the indigenous tribes who mourn their stolen ancestral lands and their murdered family members. They are our Muslim, Jewish, Hindi, Buddhist, Agnostic, and Atheist neighbors who respect our right to our religion and wonder why we can't respect theirs. Mary, Joseph, and all these seek shalom. Perfect wholeness, which doesn't come at the cost of their well-being or their lives. But where will that shalom be found? Simeon and Anna could tell you. These two old friends the scripture tells us were deeply faithful people. Simeon is described as being righteous and devout and Anna we are told is a prophet, a messenger of God. In fact, the text says Anna never leaves the temple. She worships and fasts and prays day and night so that she would not miss the day when God sends God's people a savior. Now, Scripture doesn't say who or what exactly Simeon or Anna were expecting when the Savior of the world showed up,
1: but I'd say it's
0: a pretty solid bet that they were not expecting a baby, especially not one so very poor. I'd also say it's a pretty solid bet that Mary and Joseph weren't expecting Simeon and Anna either, despite all that had been revealed to them about this baby. Here is Simeon a stranger to Mary and Joseph, proclaiming that their son is God's salvation, a light to those who do not know God, and glory to those who do. Fulfilling prophecies Mary and Joseph would have known well and proclaiming shalom. This is also the first time they hear that shalom will come at a cost. For the first time, Mary and Joseph hear, and we hear, that there will be opposition. Simeon knows the journey ahead won't be an easy one, for Jesus and the shalom balance God intends will challenge the false peace of the Roman Empire. Instead of a delusion of peace for a few, there will be complete, whole, and balanced peace for all, bringing comfort to the nations, yet requiring great sacrifice. This means that while shalom has come for us, it also requires great sacrifice from us, too. I think far too often, we equate peace with lack of conflict, and allow that misinterpretation of peace to lull us into inaction. We think, I just want peace, so I won't speak out. I'm going to stay silent because I don't want to stir anything up. Or I'm just one person, so nothing I do or say will really make any difference. Here's the thing, though. Peace cannot come about through silence and inaction. The Kingdom of God, which is Shalom, requires our participation. Think about those times when you were younger and you and a friend balanced on a teeter-totter, or you stood on a balance board or tried to walk a balance beam. Since our bodies have physical memory, I bet good money that right now, as you're thinking about trying to balance on those things, you can easily recall the sensations of those activities. How every muscle in your body worked, sometimes flexing, sometimes relaxing but in perfect coordination to maintain your balance. Shalom cannot and will not be for all without action and without sacrifice. It simply cannot be. Just like our muscles, sometimes we'll have to flex and sometimes we will get to relax. Sometimes we will have to give more than we will receive, but we don't opt out. We don't sit on the sidelines, because in the Kingdom of God, inaction is not an option. Simeon knew this. The Holy Spirit had revealed it to him, and he now had the unenviable task of revealing to Mary that there is more to the story. That while angels and shepherds offered wondrous predictions about Jesus, not everything that will occur will be joyful or peaceful. Scholars make note that in contrast to other key encounters with angels or shepherds where Mary responds to and even questions the messenger, Mary's response to Simeon is silence. But even Mary's silence is not inaction. For what parents, when they see their child, almost as in slow motion, about to meet danger head on, doesn't jump in to protect them. Mary's silence is perhaps the greatest sacrifice offered that day and every day for the next 30 something years. We are all Mary and Joseph in this story. We all strive toward righteousness, to enter the temple and do what God requires, but every single one of us falls short and that's where grace takes over every single one of us brings the paupers offering but grace turns it into the riches of justice mercy and love and so we bring the offering anyway we flex our muscles anyway we participate in the action of god anyway because we were called and adopted into god's family in the waters of baptism we answered a resounding yes to that call and now grace takes all our humble offerings, all our messy efforts, and sometimes scattered energies, and brings about shalom for all creation. So why do this work? Why bring the fresh diapers, the extra formula, the casseroles? Why care for the newborn who isn't yours as though he is yours? Why call out oppressive systems and corruption? Why offer the sacrifice even when it's painful? Because shalom requires our action and participation. Because shalom looks more like three wise women than false peace. Because shalom looks more like loving foster homes and fully funded DHS systems than corporate tax breaks. Because Shalom looks more like building shelters than building a wall. Because Shalom looks more like agency over our own bodies than forced pregnancy and birth and restricted medical care that seeks to limit someone else's humanity. Because Shalom looks more like pride flags and land back agreements and Black Lives Matter signs than MAGA hats. Because Shalom looks more like staying at the table during hard-won peace negotiations than bombs. Because shalom looks more like worrying that every child has enough food to eat than censoring books they read or what name they want to be called or what bathroom they use. Because shalom isn't pie shalom for someone else also means shalom for you, because shalom is perfect balance. Wyatt has always known his adoption story. We frequently look at pictures of the day we brought him, to him home, and we talk about Mark and Jamie and the kids who dubbed him Baby Pete. When Wyatt was about three years old, I invited him to help me clean his playroom. I mentioned to him that I knew of a family who had just gotten approved to be a foster home. I told him that there were so many children who needed safe homes that this family were getting two children just about his age that very night, and they weren't ready. They didn't have any toys for the children to play with. We talked about how he would feel giving some of his toys to that foster family for those children whose own home isn't safe right now. He willingly agreed and helped select the perfect toys to give away.
1: Later that day,
0: in the car on the way home from a trip to Menards, out of the blue, I hear his little voice coming from the back seat. Mom, he said. Yeah, pumpkin, I replied. Someday, he declared, when I'm a mom or dad, I'm going to be a safe place for kids who need a home. And that, my friends, is shalom. Amen.